If you like this podcast, you're going to really like McClanahan Academy. Head over to McClanahanAcademy.com. That's McClanahanAcademy.com. Enroll. It's free of charge. You get a free class, 10 Myths of American History. When you do enroll, I've got nearly 20 classes there available for purchase. Go to McClanahanAcademy.com. Enroll today and get a real history education. The Brian McClanahan Show, episode 686. It's time to think locally and act locally. Welcome to the Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to the Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to have you back on the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter, like my Facebook page, and subscribe to my YouTube page. You can find all those social media accounts on my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. That's B-R-I-O-N, McClanahan.com. While you're there, give me that email address. I'll give you a free ebook, Forgotten Founders, free audiobook of the same title read by yours. Truly, support the show by going to mclanahanacademy.com. You've already heard about that, but purchase a course or 20 there. You keep this podcast free of charge. If you're watching on YouTube, click on the Super Thanks button underneath the video. You can throw a few pennies my way that way, or click on the Support tab at brianmcclanahan.com. Throw a few pennies my way that way there. Or you can click on the shop tab at brianmcclanahan.com, get my logo and all kinds of cool stuff. Or you can go to anchor.fm and subscribe there. Lots of great ways to support the show financially. I do appreciate all the support because I like bringing this podcast to you, but it does require time and energy. So anytime you can throw a few pennies my way, it's much appreciated. Also, you can support the show by just rate, reviewing, and subscribing to the podcast. Let people know you love it. Send me those show requests. Share it around on social media. Do all you can to get people thinking locally and acting locally. All right. Well, this is a listener-generated episode in a way because people have asked me about this probably three or four times. I, I don't know, but they wanted me to review this book entitled Conservatism by uh, Yoram Hosani and uh, Hazoni. I'm sorry. And um, this is an interesting book. It's it's an intellectual history. And so I like that. I mean, number one, you know, intellectual histories are always fun. And of course, Hazoni is, I've talked about him on this podcast before. He is the, he's looking for a revival of American nationalism. Uh, he is certainly someone interested in uh, the Straussian view of American conservatism. He is uh, certainly someone interested in a New England version of American conservatism. Because he gets a lot of things wrong when it comes to the history. Now, he's also a nationalist. He's, um, I believe he's, I believe he lives in Israel. I'm not, I'm not quite certain about that, but I don't believe that he lives there sometimes. Um, he is a Jewish nationalist, and so um, he's certainly in foreign policy is much more interested in an interventionist foreign policy as a neoconservative than uh, than traditional paleoconservative. So. Um, he has a certain bent on American conservatism. It's a good book in terms of you know being well written. Regnery history, or I'm sorry, I just think Regnery was it Regnery? Yeah, it's just Regnery, uh, not Regnery history, but Regnery published it, and uh, Regnery publishes. You know, they they do a good job with their uh, publications in terms of editing and other things. So the book is interesting. I think he gets some things wrong about American history, which is what I'm going to talk about uh, for focus on in this podcast. And, but it is thought-provoking. I think that this is something we need to be doing on a regular basis and trying to bring out uh, what is American conservatism, what are the roots of American conservatism. I talked about this yesterday on the podcast with the Claremont Institute. Like I said, I can agree with a lot of what Claremont says, but they need to get the history right because if you don't, you're setting yourself up to fail. If you don't, 
you're basically acquiescing to the 1619 project. Now, I'll say this about Hozoni. He wants to get the history right. He doesn't want to capitulate to the left. And I don't think the Claremont people necessarily want to do that either. It's just they're setting themselves up for that. But he does say some things in this book that are just laughable. And I say that because uh, he gets, I mean, he's very focused on the Federalist. Those are the American conservatives. And he says some things that are correct, right? We have an Anglo-American conservatism. And I think that's true, right? The Anglo-American traditions, the Anglo-American legal tradition, all of that is correct. He's 100% correct about this. And uh, I, I think that you have to understand the bedrock of American, the American legal tradition and American con conceptions of rights and liberties come out of a very distinctive part of Western civilization, which is Anglo-Americanism. I would say that America, though, is unique. What he gets incorrect is that he believes American conservatism is simply just built on a British model. This is incorrect. There was a distinctive American conservatism. And that distinctive American conservatism had to do with the way they viewed the central government. What he seems to think is that the U.S. Constitution is a national constitution. It was not that way. Now, he does give you a little history. He says, well, there was kind of a pushback against this, uh, but that was the Jeffersonians, and they were leftists. Essentially, his, in his mind, decentralization is a leftist agenda, not a conservative agenda. Nationalism, the only time you can have conservatism, is in centralization of power. Now, my question to Mr. Hazoni would be, if that's and he recognizes this, if that's the case... Where do we go when the leftists take control of the reins of power and use this idea of egalitarianism, which, of course, he's fostering in some of this, to simply control that and never let up? And this is where we are in the 21st century. This is why John C. Calhoun was so interested in decentralization, not just that, having an extreme decentralist check on the central authority. What I mean by that is, of course nullification, and the concurrent majority. Calhoun understood majorities are a problem. Numerical majorities are a problem. This is John Randolph of Roanoke. This is the southern version of all this. And Calhoun, of course, said, I am a conservative, and since I am a conservative, I am a states' rights man. Hazoni would not agree with that. He would say, if he was a conservative, you would have to be a nationalist. That would be incorrect. Calhoun and all the Southerners in the antebellum period, even afterwards, were prescient of the fact that if you wanted to be an American conservative, you had to preserve these regional identities and you had to preserve the regional local traditions and cultures because if you didn't, you were going to be put under the heel of New England. And that's exactly what Hazoni thinks should happen, but that heel of New England has produced all kinds of follies in American history. Namely, centralization, extreme centralization, the New England system of uh, finance capital, which is, of course, you could say, well, that's the greatest thing ever. Well, okay. Uh, of course, it has produced prosperity for, for the United States. There's lots of people who made a lot of money in the United States. But it's also extremely corrupt. And when you start getting massive corporations out of that, and of course, corporations are the bane of American society now. I mean, there's no doubt about this. Corporations are controlled by leftists who then control society. I mean, this you, you have to understand the Federal Reserve. What is the Federal Reserve doing but destroying the, the American economy, essentially? So, I mean, this is, this is where, you know, the stuff that Hazoni says, 
you just have to look at it and say, gosh, you know, if you could just get the history right, you would come to an entirely different conclusion about what American conservatism is. Russell Kirk was better at this. This is what I said yesterday than Harry Jaffa or Yoram Hazoni or any of these people that are writing from a West Coast Straussian, neoconservative viewpoint. They just can't seem to get it. And a lot of them get hung up, as Hazoni does, of course, on the issue of slavery. You see, they think that if they just bash Southerners and say these people were racist slave owners, the left is somehow going to get on board with this and they're not going to call them names. This is just stupid. The left is going to call you names anyways because the people that you're championing were also all racist by a 21st century definition. These people were all elitists. These people didn't believe in egalitarianism at all. Now, if you start citing the 1850s Republicans, well, then you're essentially saying you are a 19th century leftist. You're not really a 19th century conservative. You're a 19th century leftist. And so therefore, again, you open the door to the Proposition Nation and the 1619 Project. It's two sides of the same coin. Okay, so let me let me explain some things in this book and just point out a couple of things where Hazoni gets some things wrong. Now, this is on uh, this is chapter uh, two. This is page thirty-three, and he says the American English, as Burke called them, declared their independence in seventeen seventy-six and established a unified nation with the ratification of the Constitution in seventeen eighty-seven. Now that would have been news to the American English. They didn't establish a unified nation. In fact, they said what it was in the preamble. A more perfect union. That's not a nation. And I don't care if he, say, he tries to explain later on, and I'll get into this, where he believes that these terms, that then meant national government. Well, again, the Constitution would not have been ratified. If you've taken my Originalist Papers class at McClanahan Academy, it's four parts, or you can buy it in one whole lump. Right? You can buy a bundle class which is awesome, uh, when you buy that class or you take my American Constitutions class, you'll understand through the primary documents that I give you, and I give you lots of them in the, in the Originalist Papers class, it's all 101 documents, including people that Hazoni cites, would completely disagree with this. And I'll give you the list of the people that he cites as nationalists. He's not incorrect about these people being nationalists, but they were hiding what they believed in 1787, when they got the Constitution, it was ratified. That's when they came out in your know, wolf and sheep's clothing, clothing kind of thing. That's when they came out and really showed who they were. You know, James Wilson is one of them. Alexander Hamilton's another one. Now, uh, Governor Morris or Governor Morris uh, never really deviated from being a nationalist. I, Morris was always a nationalist. However, Morris was also a secessionist. So were many of these other nationalists. These Federalists that he cites, they believed in state powers and in the power of secession. Why? Because they could not control the center. You see, the other thing that Hazoni gets wrong is that the Nationalists were the innovators. This is who John Dickinson pointed out in the Philadelphia Convention and said, Reason must be our, uh, I'm sorry, experience must be our only guide. Reason may mislead us. Right? Experience must be our only guide. Reason may mislead us. And Hazoni gets something right at the beginning of the book. Let me go back to that because he defines conservatism. Uh, he, he points this out. Let me go back to that particular definition. I agree with this. Right? So he says, A conservative is a traditionalist, a person who works to recover, restore, and build up the traditions of his forefathers and to pass them on to future generations. I've said for a long time that we shouldn't call what we are you know, conservatives. It should be American traditionalists. And in that way... 
I mean, this is what Hazoni essentially is echoing here. So he's not incorrect about that. That's what a conservative does. Political conservatism, he says, is a political standpoint that regards the recovery, restoration, elaboration, and repair of national religious traditions as the key to maintaining a nation and strengthening it through time. Of course, key to maintaining a nation, but maybe if you use nation in the old sense of the term, a unified people based on uh, a, a common culture, language, religion, uh, those kind of things, then yes, I could agree with that. But there's no American nation ever. There's never been an American nation. John Taylor of Caroline, who was a conservative of conservatives, said, look, th- I mean, having an American nation is like having a utopia of utopians. It doesn't exist. America for Americans. It doesn't exist. None of this stuff exists. You all are making this stuff up. We've all known this. Since the 1750s, we've known this. And you can't foist it on people. It doesn't exist. New England is a different nation of people than than uh, South Carolina or than the South. I mean, or Virginia. It's a different nation of people. Even Washington used uh, said at one point that there's no nation on the face of the planet that loves money as much as New England, right? So I don't know if Washington necessarily considered himself a New Englander. He never really did. Or if there was an Amer- one American people, he kind of you know got into that at times and called it a nation and so did others. But I'm not so certain Washington even recognized these people as similar to him. Now, maybe by the end of his life, Washington gravitated a little more to New England than he did to other parts of, of the United States, maybe not as much to South Carolina or the Carolinas. His friends you know, tend to be a little more towards the northern side. But certainly, uh, Washington was a Virginian, and he would not have been anything but what he was without being a Virginian. So and Jefferson, of course, was always a Virginian. Now, he, you know, Hazoni would say that Jefferson was never a conservative. And that way, Kevin Goodsman would probably agree with him. Kevin Goodsman believed Jefferson was always a radical. Jefferson was always a leftist. He was never really recognized as much of a conservative in his life. And, and I would say that's true. But Jefferson's core principle was always federalism, which is the heart of American conservatism. When I say federalism, that means a federal republic. This is also where Hazoni gets something wrong, and I'll get into that in a minute. So then you flip the page and he says this. The conservative aspect of the Constitution of 1787 has been emphasized many times, but it was also a nationalist document, uniting what had been 13 independent states, each of them like a Greek polis pursuing policies of its own, under a single American national state. It did not. This is complete bunk based on no evidence at all. In fact, if anybody had thought that, they wouldn't have ratified the document. If the, if the states really believe that in 1787, you can take my you can you can go through and read the documents that I give you in that originalist papers class. If people really believe that, they would not have ratified the document. There were people that certainly thought this way, but they were in the minority. That's the key point to emphasize. They were in the minority. Now you could say, well, that sure, certainly shows they're conservative. They were in the minority. Conservatives always in the minority. Uh, this is not the Constitution we got, but he's making a point that the Constitution did this. It did not. It maintained the Federal Union, the Federal Republic of the Articles of Confederation, with some enhanced powers for the central authority. But even the conservative nationalist, James Wilson, who, I mean, was he really that much of a conservative? I don't know. Uh, he makes the case for that in his State House Yard speech with which uh, Hazoni conveniently just ignores. So then he says this, 
Indeed, members of the Federalist Party of George Washington, John Adams, John Jay, Alexander Hamilton, Robert Morris, Gouverneur Morris, James Wilson, Oliver Ellsworth, Rufus King, John Marshall, and Noah Webster were not only conservatives, but American nationalists. They regarded Americans as one nation, and they saw the establishment of the forms of the British Constitution and the English common law over and above the 13 states as the best possible instrument for ensuring that Americans would remain a single nation. Well, again, this is funny. I'm, let, me, let me talk about some of these people in this list. So he brings up Gouverneur Morris, who, by the way, became a secessionist. Same thing with Otter Ellsworth. Same thing with Rufus King. All of those people at one time favored secession. King and Ellsworth, in fact, proposed it to John Taylor of Caroline in 1794. So if these people were so committed to one nation... Why would they be saying, well, um, we need to get out of this thing, John, because they weren't really American nationalists. They were New England sectionalists. That's the whole point. Hazoni can't see it. I don't think he really understands American history very well. He does a good job bringing out some history of the British Empire and some other things. Of course, he considers himself, considers himself to be a Burkean, which even Russell Kirk would do the exact same thing. And that's okay. Uh, I know a lot of people want to get Burke and read Burke and wax poetic about Burke and think that they've done something. Same thing with the Federalist Essays. Uh, but the, the fact is, uh, Hazoni gets some things wrong about these people. Now, certainly, uh, when they started talking about one nation, American people, an American nation, these terms were used, and there was a tremendous amount of pushback against that from all of the 13 states because all of them realized that there wasn't really an American people. The majority of the people, there was not really an American people here. That doesn't exist. This is incorrect. Uh, what we're talking about here is not an American nation, but a federal republic. And even Hamilton used that term. The other thing that he says, which is hilarious, this is where he gets into the problems. He says, for Democratic Republicans, the ideal citizen was the independent farmer, to a degree self-sufficient even if this sometimes involved owning slaves to work his fields. Well, you know who were some of the most ardent pro-slavery people in the South? Federalists. The nationalists that, that Hazoni thinks were all Democratic Republicans. In fact, if you look at South Carolina, most of the, of the ardent Federalists in South Carolina were the largest slave owners. The largest slave owners in the South tended to be Federalists. Not Democratic Republicans. There were some, like Jefferson, but the largest slave owners tended to be Federalists. Why? Because they saw in the Constitution at times an ability to protect their interests from whatever the scheming, uh, the scheming population could be, whatever they were trying to do. So these Federalists tended to support strong central authority, and a lot of them were large slave owners. So, I mean, this just blows Hazoni's point about the Democratic-Republicans out of the water. Certainly, there were large slave owners who were Democratic-Republicans, but a lot of them were also Federalists. I mean, you can't get around that. There's another point, page 40. He says, he says quote, On June 20th, the prominent Connecticut, Connecticut nationalist Oliver Ellsworth moved to simply strike the word national from the proposed Constitution. Thereafter, all the descriptions of the American government as national were removed and replaced by the term United States, general and federal. In this way, the term federal became a synonym for national and the opposite of confederal. This is stupid. That isn't true at all. 
In fact, that's not what it did. They struck the term national because nobody wanted a national legislature. Nobody thought they were getting that. In fact, that was the one thing they said we don't want. They wanted the states represented in the Senate so they could maintain the federal aspect of the general government. The term federal meant federal. In fact, Hamilton himself in the Federalist Papers used the terms interchangeably. He said it. But, of course, he says this in the next sentence. It was soon widely popularized after Hamilton initiated defense of the new national constitution in a series of newspaper essays in which he was joined by Jay and Madison, which were known collectively as the Federalist. From this point on, the term Federalist denoted a political view and then a party devoted to national government. American nationalists were called Federalists. Now, that's not untrue, but what's happening here is they stole the term. But it doesn't mean that they were essentially saying that the two, two uh, phrases are synonymous. It doesn't mean that at all. In fact, they called it the Federalist because they knew they weren't advocating a national government. Hamilton did it in the Federalist Papers. He didn't advocate a national government there. He advocated a government with some strength and powers, but several times he made a case for a very decentralized government. Now, in one of the Federalist essays, he does not. The only of those three that can be said was an art nationalist in every essay was John Jay. John Jay certainly was. And this is why John Jay is often cited by the nationalists as saying, this is the real tone of the Federalist essays. You want to know something else about the Federalist essays? Nobody read them. In fact, everybody read George Mason and everybody read James Wilson, uh, but nobody really read the Federalist Essays, except in New York. And even there, they didn't have much of an impact because New York only ratified the Constitution by three votes. So to say that this is somehow, oh, everybody now was saying Federalist National because everybody's reading these things. Nobody really cared. It all mattered in your own state. And in every state, there's a lot of discussion about what the Constitution means and what it doesn't mean. And you had the proponents of the document, like James Wilson in Pennsylvania, making decentralist arguments. Now, the opponents were pointing out saying, no, 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 you're lying, you're lying, you're lying. Wilson, I'm not lying about this. I'm not lying at all. This thing is going to be a real federal government. We're going to have the states have all these powers. The central authority is extremely limited. It can only do these things. Uh, the opponents were saying, no, no, you're lying, Wilson. We know you're lying. No, shut up. You, you're going to vote for We're going to vote for it anyways. Of course, he was lying. They, they did lie during the ratification process. But people believed Wilson enough. In, that, in the state of Pennsylvania to ratify the Constitution, it was a lot closer than what the vote was. Same thing in Massachusetts. The only reason the Constitution gets ratified in Massachusetts is because they agreed to put a Bill of Rights into it. Otherwise, it would have failed. Same thing in Virginia. And the only reason it was ratified in Virginia is because finally Randolph, who was very powerful, I mean, look, he, he published his objections to the Constitution. But in the Virginia Ratifying Convention, he comes out and says, look, I still hate the document, but I'm worried about disunion. I'm worried about secession. And so if we don't ratify this constitution, we're not going to have a federal union anymore. It's going to be gone. And that's worse than what the constitution provides. Right? So you have that. And of course, Madison and others in the Virginia Ratifying Convention pushing for a decentralized federal government. That's what they all talked about. This is just a complete distortion of history. It's awful. It's awful. Let me go forward and uh, get to it, some other history here that Hazoni just completely messes up. And I'm going to go to the last part of this chapter, page 80, 80, uh, 82. Uh, and I want to read most of this. I only have a few minutes left here, but this is only a couple of pages. So I'll make some comments off of this. 
He says, American nationalist conservatives took the lead in writing and ratifying the Constitution of 1787. No, they didn't. American nationalist conservatives didn't ratify. The the opponents of nationalism ratified the Constitution in 1787 because they were promised it wouldn't be a national government. Right? I mean, this is the case. Now, you could say that all these people, James Wilson and Alexander Hamilton, who was single-handedly leading the Poughkeepsie Convention in favor of ratification. By the way, he was called out as a liar, almost led to a duel between John Lansing and himself. I mean, people were people were really suspicious of these individuals, and they didn't get a national constitution. They got a constitution that that maintained the federal republic. That's what the people ratified. It's not what ultimately happened, but that's what the people ratified. And in establishing the national government of the United States, indeed, the decline of the Federalists as a political party occurred in no small part because of the grudging acceptance by the first Democratic Republican presidents, Jefferson and Madison, of key aspects of the Federalist platform. Most Americans soon came to regard themselves as members of a single nation and and to accept the Federalist national government with its strong executive and judiciary. Moreover, their American national identity remained attached to a powerful Anglo-American tradition in language, law, and religion that was still plainly visible to Tocqueville when he traveled in the United States during the 1830s. Again, uh, look, Tocqueville is overrated. I'll say that. I mean, this is Newt, Newt Gingrich made Tocqueville popular back in the 1990s. Everybody had to go out and read Tocqueville because Newt Gingrich started talking about it. And all the, you know, the, the Claremont people and the Straussians all started talking about this too. Uh, but uh, look, the thing is, yeah, Jefferson did accept, uh, particularly in his second term, he started acting very much like a nationalist in that second term. And you can say that the National Republicans of Henry Clay and John Quincy Adams were born out of that second Jefferson administration. Uh, but uh, the fact is, Jefferson, once he went home, still remained a confitted, committed Federalist. I mean, there's no doubt about this. He, he didn't, he didn't uh, acquiesce and uh, say that, when I say Federalist, I mean real Federalist with a Federal Republic. Even as the Federalist Party waned, national conservatism continued to be a force in American politics. Now, wait a second. He says it, it waned because this is another part of history. Oh, federalism waned because of Jefferson and Madison. No, it waned because of the War of 1812, and the Federalists ran out and started advocating secession. This is why it waned, because they became secessionists. That's kind of hard to have an American nation when you're a secessionist, right? So don't get me wrong here. Uh, I mean, there were parts of this, but federalism was killed because of the Hartford Convention. That was it, and that was a secession convention. So how does he square that? He, He doesn't. Even as the Federalist Party waned, nationalist conservatism continued to be a force in American politics. Younger Federalists in Congress organized around Daniel Webster and combined with a group of renegade Democratic Republicans led by Henry Clay, who became the standard bearer for a return to Hamiltonian ideas. It succeeded in securing the election of former Federalist John Quincy Adams as president in 1824 and created the National Republican Party and later the American Whig Party, a name strikingly in intended to invoke the Anglo-American conservative tradition and the ideas of Edmund Burke. That's not why it was done. In fact, the original Whigs were opposed to monarchy in America. And that monarch was Andrew Jackson. These are South Carolinians. They took the term Whig because of King Andrew. Now, you could say that, you know, yeah, that has that anti-Edmund Burke and the country party and all this stuff, but um, certainly these people were not Tories. That would be... Uh, the conservative faction in Britain, the Whigs were not the conservatives, really. They just weren't. 
These American nationalists came together around Federalist causes such as economic nationalism and opposition to the expansion of slavery, even as they supported Congress against Andrew Jackson's strengthening of the, uh, of the executive. Uh, now, some of the Federalists, some of the, some of the Whigs would be opposed to slavery, but not all. In fact, that's why a lot of them bolted the party and joined with the Democrats, particularly in the South. Uh, there were some uh, who would be against it. I mean, Clay was certainly a, a colonizationist, and so were many others, but uh, this didn't mean that everyone in the, in the Whig Party or the National Republican Party was against slavery. In the 1850s, Whigs such as William Seward and the almost unknown Abraham Lincoln coalesced into a new nationalist political grouping, the Republican Party. This nationalist revival succeeded at the cost of a terrible civil war, and saving the Federalist national government and implementing Hamiltonian economic policies, while at the same time burning to the ground the most monstrous legacy of Jefferson's America, the institution of slavery. Now, Lincoln considered himself to be a Jeffersonian. <laughs> I, said this, I said this yesterday. Considered himself to be a Jeffersonian. And the Whigs, these, these, Seward and Lincoln were not conservatives. He fails to mention people like uh, Charles Sumner or some of the others. I mean, these people were not conservatives. Nationalism was not conservatism. It was something else. It was an American version of leftism. Conservatism was always tied into state power. Although Lincoln comfortably mixed Jeffersonian rhetoric with his imposing biblical imagery, his policies as president were in the tradition the Federalists would have easily recognized. I agree with him there. After the Civil War, even Lincoln's assassination could not derail this decisive nationalist victory, which forged an American political consensus that lasted into the 20th century. So uh, he's saying, you know, this was the this was the odd, this was the alien. Most Americans, Lincoln only got 39% of the vote. Most Americans were not nationalists, even after the war. Lincoln certainly, and the Republicans certainly foisted nationalism on America, but that didn't mean that it was... Uh, something that everybody wanted. In fact, what they had to start doing is retrenching a little bit, allowing the states to have much more authority, or there was going to be an re open revolt against the centralized power. To this day, we encounter Jeffersonians who insist that nationalism is un-American. But the nationalist conservatism of the American Federalist Party is, to a great extent, the force that made America. Certainly, the United States has changed immensely since the days of Washington, J. Adams, Morris, and Hamilton, the leaders of the original American Nationalist Conservative Party. Nevertheless, it is difficult to miss the way in which, at a time in which the indications of national dissolution grow ever more insistent, the issues that animated the Federalist Party have returned to the fore in our own day. For decades, American political life has been dominated by a Jeffersonian discourse focused on universal theories of individual rights, and the uh, expense, at the expense of a careful cultivation of America's strength and cohesion as a nation. But see, uh, here's the thing. Uh, again, decentralization is the American way. I mean, the other thing is not. This Jeffersonian intellectual hegemony encouraged regime change adventures in distant land, recklessly indiscriminate immigration and trade policies, the elimination of even the slightest echo of religious observance from public life, and a growing hatred toward the country's Anglo-American constitutional and cultural inheritance. No, it didn't. None of that did. In fact, what's done that is the exact opposite, the centralization of power. So this is where Hazoni just completely goes off the rails. Uh, and, you know, he's saying Jeffersonianism is somehow imperialist? Are you serious? The Republicans that he just championed were, the, <laughs> were advocating imperialism in the 1860s to save the world, to make the world safe for American liberty. This is what they wanted to do. Uh, I mean, this is just complete bunk. 
but it's it's passing for history. I, I think it's more like fantasy. This is a fantasy novel. Today, national conservatives are rediscovering the worth of federalist ideas of a foreign policy based primarily on a national interest and an alliance with English-speaking countries and like-minded national states sharing America's commitment to national independence and individual liberties. Of an economic policy directed toward a renewal of American industry and technolog technological leadership in the face of, a dangerous, of dangerous rivals abroad, and of immigration policies emphasizing the need for newcomers to integrate into a culture that cherishes inherited American traditions and the values they bear. It may be that as Americans regain an, an appreciation for the Federalist Party's principles, their wisdom will be retrieved in other areas as well, leading to a recognition, for example, that the American nation will not endure without a return to religion in public life and without ensuring that the descendants of slaves are an integral and honored part of the American nation. Hazoni is very confused about uh, some of this, right? I mean, look, there's no doubt that uh, the the Federalists advocated, so did, so did some of the Democratic Republicans. I mean, this is just ridiculous. And Henry Clay didn't want slaves in, integrated into society at all. Henry Clay was about kicking them out. So was Abraham Lincoln. The people that were actually integrationists were Southerners who uh, who actually advocated when the war was over. I mean, what are you going to do with the slaves? They're part of society. You can't you can't send them out. It's not what you're going to do. This is Alexander H. Stevens. Now you could say he was a uh, he was a Whig. He was. But what are we going to do? I mean, what, uh, you got to integrate these people somehow. Jefferson was uh, not in favor. Nobody was really in favor of integration, not even in New England. I mean, this is a complete bunk that somehow in early history, all these Federalists were in favor of integration and other things. They weren't. They weren't. Uh, most, of the, most Americans were in favor of colonization or removing African Americans from the United States. Uh, this, is, this, is not, uh, this is fabricating history. So anyways, uh, I'll stop there because we're at 30 minutes, but um, I wanted to get into the history part of this because it just isn't very good when it comes to the American side. Uh, he really doesn't understand American history very well. I'll say that. Uh, it's, just not, it's just not very good. Uh, it's thoughtful reading. It's thought-provoking reading. Uh, if you can pick up a copy for you know, a discount somewhere or do something like that, fine. Uh, it, is, it is something that is going to create a conversation, which is what I'm doing here. But in terms of a, something that's going to create a, a shift in how people think about conservatism, I don't think that's going to happen. I mean, this, is, this is mainstream Straussianism. It's mainstream neoconservatism. It's mainstream garbage when it comes to their real basis for American conservatism. All right. I'll see you tomorrow on The Brian McClanahan Show. See you then.